As we begin our time this morning, would you bow with me for a word of prayer? Father, once again, we acknowledge our dependence upon you. We acknowledge our need for you to help us in every way and in specific ways when we come to study your word. Your spirit illumines our minds and our hearts. We're thankful for that. We're thankful that you are with us, that you attend to us, and that you honor your word in every way, but especially, I think, Lord, when we study your word, when we look to you. So thank you for these things. Bless our time this morning because of our Savior and for your glory. In his name we pray, amen. Well, I want us this morning to return to our study of Second Peter chapter 3, and so if you have your Bibles with you, take them and turn in them to Second Peter chapter 3 as we are going to spend our time again in verses 1 to 9, we spent some time last Lord's Day uh, discussing, in, in really an overarching way, the dynamic and importance of being protected from false teachers, and that best protection is by knowing the Word of God. And it's important that we return here again this morning, if not for the simple fact that it is here that we find the only protection that there is against being duped by false teachers. I want to begin our time this morning by reading these verses for us, just so that we have them in our minds. And I'll just let you know, we're only going to uh, walk through, if you will, verses uh, 3 through 7, and then next Lord's Day, I trust, uh, finish up with verses 8 and 9. But I want to cover all of that thought uh, in our reading. So follow along as I begin in chapter 3. Now, this is now, beloved, the second letter I'm writing to you in which I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior by your apostles. Know this first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and by water, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. But the present heavens and earth, by his word, are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. So we think about this, we must remember that every true Christian is to be very cautious as we live our physical lives in this physical world. 
Why? Because there is an ever-present danger of imposter Christianity. And an ever-present danger of imposter Christians. And those who lead the way are described here as false teachers. False teachers. They are the quintessential imposter Christian, if you will. They are those who claim to have a relationship with God and, in fact, do not. Those who speak, as Peter has said, they speak with arrogant words of vanity. Those who do not know God and yet speak as if they do know God. Those who have sadly crept into the church as Paul was warning the Ephesian elders, those who have crept in unawares, crept in under the guise of being real when in fact they are fake, those who are actually seeking to exploit others for the sake of personal gain, those who speak as teachers of truth but are actually false teachers. I guess in the vernacular of our news cycle today, this is the true fake news. It's what they say. They are, in word, anti-Christian. We could label them that way. By their very words and by their very lives and deeds, they show themselves to be, as 1 John 2 says, they are anti-Christ. In fact, we stopped our reading this morning in verse 17, and yet verse 18 says this, Children, in the last hour, or it is the last hour, and just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that it is the last hour. And so here we are in Second Peter. We are being warned about them. We are being warned, and therefore we must take it seriously. We must never put our spiritual guards down. We must never be relaxed in our exercise of discernment. If we are going to be immune to the ways and tactics of false teachers, then we must be serious about what we are hearing from the mouth of the Apostle Peter through being led by the Spirit of God to say exactly what we must hear in this section. Like I said, we spoke of some of it last Lord's Day, and I want to emphasize these things again for us because there are several aspects within this text that we must keep in mind. Let's begin to walk through them this morning, and you can... Jot them down as you find it necessary. You notice, first of all, that Peter says to us that he is about to say, what he is about to say is preeminent. Preeminent. Notice he says in verse 3, know this first of all. 
Know this first of all. We have to understand as we read this that Peter is not talking about some kind of chronological order. He is not talking about and saying, here's the first thing I want you to know, and then he's going to give kind of a list of that as if to say, I have a few things that I want to share. I have a few things that I'm going to share with you, and this is the first in a long, important list of things that I'm going to share. No. That seems like that's what he might be saying when you read it in the English. But the grammar of this phrase indicates that what Peter is going to tell us is the most important thing. This is the preeminent thing. It is the preeminent of all this letter is about with false teachers. And therefore, that is to say, For the true Christian to be guarded from being duped by false teaching, what Peter is going to say is the preeminent thing. It's not to disengage or to devalue anything that he has said up to this point. All of that undergirds all of this, and yet this is the preeminent thing. Know this, first of all. And of course, All of what is to come rests upon that foundation. Know this first of all. In other words, we know these things because this is the Word of God. This is what the Word of God says to us. This is what the Word of God shows us in both the Old and New Testaments, right? He has said that foundationally in verses 1 and 2. Don't forget, I want to stir you up by way of reminder. I want to stir up your sincere mind that you don't forget what is said in the Old Testament by the Old Testament prophets and the commandments of the Lord that were given by the apostles, which is the New Testament letters. I don't want you to forget any of those kinds of things, and this is preeminent in all of that. So what is it then that is preeminent to know when it comes to false teachers? He says, know this, know this, verse 3, that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking. Mockers will come with their mocking. You notice that Peter begins this list with two very urgent aspects. Two very urgent aspects. One is the timing of these things. And the other is the skepticism that comes from false teachers. One is the timing, and the other is the skepticism that comes from false teachers. He says, first, this first aspect, or this aspect is preeminent to know that false teachers are part of the last days. They're part of the last days. Right? He says that in the last days. That that relative clause in grammar speaks to this first issue. Now that sounds like, when you read it, that you can just sit back. We as Christians can sit back, we can relax, we can take a deep sigh, a deep breath into our lungs... He's not talking about our time, it sounds like. He's talking about the time when Jesus Christ returns. The time when Jesus Christ actually comes back. There'll be false teachers in those last days. After all, isn't it true that when Jesus said that He was coming back, 
the first century Christians believed that it was going to be very soon. And when Jesus in Acts chapter 1 ascended into glory and the angels said to him, why are you standing here watching the clouds? He's going to come back in the same way that those first century Christians and those who heard the testimony of those first century Christians believed it was going to be very soon. Fact, isn't that exactly what 1 Thessalonians 4.13 Paul is telling the believers they don't have to worry about those who died already? That even in the short time that Jesus Christ has left, don't, look, don't worry about those who have died already because they didn't miss out on anything. They'll be raised up. They'll be just like every believer. They'll meet Christ when He comes in the air. Were not the Thessalonian believers, even some of them not working? They were going around, just sitting around waiting for the return of Christ. They, they thought it was going to be as if the next hour. Didn't he say the things that he said to them? That the return was going to be very soon, and they thought some had missed it. Missed it by the dying in the physical life. And so when we read this here in 2 Peter chapter 3, when Peter says that in the last days, wouldn't Peter be saying the same thing? Wouldn't that anticipation be going on the same way? Wouldn't there be this thought of the quick return of Jesus Christ? Well, the answer to that is yes, but it's a qualified yes. It's a qualified yes, because Peter is writing so that we are not confused about Christ's return since a long time has passed from the time that Christ came and has left. In fact, even when Peter wrote these very words to the believers that he's writing to, many years had already passed since the come, coming of Christ, since the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's true that with the passing of time, it's the temptation of all humanity, even Christians, to doubt. Doubt about the truthfulness of the promise. Allow that doubt to rise up in our hearts. Start to wonder. And it's that doubt that Satan wants. It's that doubt that false teachers perpetuate in their teaching. So Peter says, know this first of all. This is preeminent. Know this, that in the last days, the common New Testament phrase, the idea is drawn from the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 2 actually is where this is heard. The phrase last days is referring to the time since the Lord came the first time. And that would simply indicate that since Christ came the first time, we now, since that time, are in the last days. And so he's speaking of the New Testament times. This is what Peter is referring to, the times from Christ's first coming till now. And every day from here on out until and into even the millennial kingdom. This is the last days. 
We are in the last days times. In fact, I'll just read a few of these passages for us just so we have it in our minds and we're clear on this. Isaiah 2, 2 says, Now it will come about that in the last days, the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains and will be raised above the hills. Talking about the, the rulership, when the Old Testament oftentimes refers to mountains and hills, it's talking about rulership. Those are the highest rulers. In the last days, Christ will rule. He's talking, speaking and referring to the millennial kingdom when Christ is here ruling. In the last days, the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountain. He will be ruling. All the nations, it says, will stream to it. Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 20, The anger of the Lord will not turn back until He has performed and carried out the purposes of His heart. In the last days, you will clearly understand it. Hosea chapter 3, Then the Lord said to me, Go again, love a woman who is loved by a lover and is committing adultery, just like the love of the Lord for the children of Israel who took to other gods and loved the raisin cakes of the pagans. So Hosea went and he bought for himself, he bought her for himself for 15 shekels of silver and one and a half homers of barley. And I said to her, you shall stay with me many days. You shall not play the harlot, nor shall you have a man. So too, I will be toward you. Of course, God was using Hosea as an example of his love for Israel. Verse 4 says, For the children of Israel shall abide many days without a king or a prince, without sacrifice or sacred pillar, without ephod or teraphim. Afterwards, the sons of Israel will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they will come trembling to the Lord and to his goodness in the last days. Micah 4.1 and it will come about in the last days that the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains. It will be raised up above the hills and the peoples will stream to it. Sounds awful lot like Isaiah 2 too. And of course you turn to the New Testament, Acts chapter 2, verse 17, that it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth my spirit on all mankind and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Of course, Peter is quoting that verse in light of the fact of the Holy Spirit coming upon the people at the day of Pentecost. Second Timothy chapter three, verse one, but realize this in the last days, difficult times will come. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2, In these last days He has spoken to us in His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the world. James chapter 5, verse 3, Your gold and your silver have rusted, and their rust will be a witness against you and will consume your flesh like fire. It is in the last days that you have stored up your treasure. You see, this is what Peter is referring to. He isn't speaking of a specific time in the future, a point in time. This is as it was when Peter first penned these words here in verse 3. We are living in the last days. And so Peter is saying, listen, I don't want you to be confused. I want you to know this. You are in the last days. It is as God says. 
In other words, stirring up your mind by way of sincere reminder as to what the holy prophet said, it is exactly as God said, you are in the last days. This is preeminent. Don't think this is some future reality. This is now. And then he says, secondly, know this, in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking. We've said this before. This is how false teachers speak. Uh, this is the, the attitude, if you will, behind the words they say. They're, they're like playground bullies, if you will. They make fun of those who believe the truth of God as it's given. They mock. They ridicule. Oh, really? You're one of those Jesus freaks, aren't you? You actually believe in a six-day creation? You actually believe that stuff? That's so intellectually stupid. You're not a very smart person. Science has shown that it took millions of years to develop life. Oh, oh, you actually believe that God parted the Red Sea and allowed millions of people to pass through? And then, and then in a moment, in a moment of time, He brought that water back upon the Egyptian armies as to destroy them? Come on, that's only a myth. I often joke, my wife and I have been to Israel. I've swam in the Red Sea. I've often joked as I snorkeled in the Red Sea, I saw the tracks that Moses crossed. Of course, I haven't. But I believe it happened. Oh, really? You believe that God is only going to save those who believe in His Son? You believe that? I mean, listen, God is love, and a loving God would never send anyone to hell. Love always wins. You ever heard that title? It's the name of a book, very popular. You mean you believe in a historical, grammatical, literal interpretation of the Bible? That's so elementary. You've got to see what the Bible really means. You have to look at it through the lens of the oppressed people groups of the day. If you don't do that, then you don't understand what the Bible means. You're not one of those people who believes there's no hidden meaning behind the words, are you? Not one of those people. You actually believe that Jesus is coming back? You actually believe that the words of the Old and New Testament are literally going to happen? What a fool. You see, beloved, that's the attitude of false teaching. Ridicule. Mocking. That's the attitude of a false teacher. It's meant to intimidate. Meant to intimidate you. It's meant to cause doubt in your belief. It's meant to cause you to look at the Word of God and say, Well, maybe I really don't know if this is true. 
Peter says, look, know this first of all. You live in the last days, and in the last days, your beliefs are going to be mocked. The Bible is going to be doubted. There are going to be those even who call themselves, and especially who call themselves evangelical, who have appeared for even a time to be those who sounded very evangelical, and yet in the end they doubt the Word of God and its sufficiency. They mock your belief. Why? Why do they mock? Peter says, number three, they mock because of their own self-love. Know this first of all. In the last days, mockers will come with their mocking following after their own lusts. This is not new to us. We have looked at it already. We have delved into this in some context. Remember back in verse 10 that this judgment is coming upon them, especially to those who indulge the flesh in its corrupt desires and despise authority? This is a tenant of their mocking. This is a tenant of their doubting. This is a tenant of their attitude and in their teaching. They mock and deny and despise having any authority over them, especially the authority of God. And why? Why is it that way? Verse 15, because they have forsaken the right way. They have forsaken the right way. They have gone astray not because they have not known the truth, not because they have not been exposed to the truth, not because they have not even heard the truth, but because they have forsaken the truth. They have left the truth. Listen, there is only one road that you go down when you forsake the truth. There's only one road. There isn't many roads. There isn't degrees of roads. There is only one road you go down when you forsake the truth. It is the way that goes astray. In fact, the word there is the idea of, of planets being out of their orbit that God has set them in. They're rogue. They're wandering planets that are that have been created to, to operate in this creative order of, 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 of symmetry that God has created in balance according to His own nature and character, and yet they go the way they wish. Do what they want. And this is what happens when you follow after your own lusts, when you refuse the authority of the Word of God, you will inevitably begin to speak foolish things. In fact, you will doubt reality. You will doubt reality and you will redefine history. Notice what Peter says in verse 4. They follow after their own lusts and they say, where is the promise of His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning, this is speaking foolish things, doubting reality, and redefining history. What is the essence of what they are saying? The essence of what they are saying is this. No matter what you think and have convinced yourselves of, 
you Christian, you person who follows the Bible, who, who looks at the Bible and takes it as God has said it, no matter what you may think and how you have convinced yourself, there is no such thing as the supernatural. In other words, there is no such thing as God. Well, they say they believe in God, and yet they deny the supernatural, which is to deny that God even exists. Notice, notice how they do that. They deny what He has said. Where is the promise of His coming? Well, Peter wasn't making up the promise. It wasn't a myth of history in the promise. This is God's promise. This is what God said. This is not only what God the Father has said. This is what God the Son has said. I will come back. And so they are denying the very reality of the promise of God. Which is to deny that God has ever said it, which is to, in reality, deny God. In other words, if God promised this, and as false teachers, we actually deny that He did, then why hasn't it come to pass? I mean, we don't see it happening. It hasn't happened yet. In fact, we don't think it's going to happen. If God promised it, why isn't it happening? You see, it's mocking. It's mocking. They're doubting reality. And then also, we doubt what you say is God's accounting of world history. Because ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. It's ironic that they would even believe in a beginning of creation. Let's think about the implications of this statement. What does one have to deny? What does one have to deny just up to the time of this letter in order to say that kind of thing? In order to say, well, forever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning. What does one have to deny in order to have that accounting of world history? Well, first and foremost, you have to deny the fall of man. You have to deny the fall of man. Because if everything has gone on since creation, then Adam never had a sinful fall. And if Adam never had a sinful fall, then Eve was never tempted. And if Eve was never tempted, therefore if Adam never fell, Eve's never tempted, then man is not sinful. Either man has no sin, because if Adam did not fall, then all of us who are from Adam are as perfect as he was at creation. Therefore, if that's true, then you have to doubt that any part of the history of the first 11 chapters of Genesis are real. Because this is the accounting of the nations, patriarchs of the nation of Israel, and all of the fallenness that came with that. 
all of the outworkings of the fall of the sin of men in the outworkings of their heart as the world began. You have to doubt that. If all continues since the beginning of creation, and if mankind is not sinful, then mankind was never judged by God with a global flood. And so you have to doubt the flood. And therefore the promise of no more floods is false. And if God did not flood the world, then the way the earth was formed and how we see our world in development today is just the outworking of evolutionary processes. It's just the outworking of life and the life forms becoming more and more brilliant as man becomes more intelligent over time. And since all continues as it has since creation, then we don't need God to help us at all. After all, we aren't actually bad. In fact, we're getting better every day. And since there's no fall, then there's no hell because there's no sin. There's only this world. And so you better do all you can to save it because you may not have it much longer. If man did not sin, then Moses does not, or then man doesn't need a savior because man isn't inherently bad. Man just needs to love himself in such a way that everything will turn out good. And therefore, all things about man and his world can be answered with empirical scientific data. There's no need for a supernatural. We don't need God. In fact, there is no God. And therefore, what science says is always authoritative, even above what you say is the Word of God. And so what has the mocker done? They have denied the supernatural. They have denied that the supernatural exists. And so every false teacher, wittingly or unwittingly, is actually an atheist. They're just like any other idol worshiper who has created a god of their own making. It's not because he has found proof through scientific intellectualism, but rather because he doesn't want God as his authority. I'm going to tell you something. Evolution is not a scientific theory that came about by scientific evaluation. Evolution is a theory born out of fallen morality. Because man does not want a God to judge him, and therefore he has created a system in his own mind by which he can have no judge, therefore he can do what he wants. Where there is no judge, I can live in any kind of immorality I want. I can have my sexual exploits in any determination in any way I want. I can destroy whatever it is around me that comes as a consequence of my sexual outcomings. There is no judge anyway. We all just grew up out of a pool of primordial sludge in which one day we'll all return. 
See, that's the real reason man rejects God. It's not because he found proof through some kind of scientific intellectualism. It's simply because he doesn't want coming judgment. That is actually every false teacher. That is what they are doubting. That is what they are denying, the coming judgment. This is why they indulge the flesh in its corrupt desires and despise authority. And if I can convince myself of no coming judgment, if I can say there is no natural supernatural, then it doesn't matter what I do now. It doesn't matter how morally debauched my life is, there is no judgment to come anyway. And so I'll live any way that I choose and I'll define my world as I choose to define it because both evolutionary thought and liberal theology both redefine away the coming judgment. You have the world's view, the world's essence of belief is evolution and the church in its debauched way has liberal theology which is born out of the same heart. If creation is because of some evolutionary process, then there is no God to have answer for in my life. I just formed out of some ancient amoeba that came about in some way and therefore I can live out my morality in any way that I want to live it out. No big deal. If there's some undesired consequence for my immoral behavior, I'll just get rid of it because it's just a pack of cells anyway, and therefore publicly sanctioned murder is fine because those cells don't actually mean anything. And so you can see, you can see, beloved, that when when you deny the supernatural as false teachers deny it, oh, they, they'll say they don't. They'll say they don't deny the supernatural, but the fact is they are. When you redefine God, the God that you may not be denying, but you've redefined Him, when God is not taken at His Word, when His Word is doubted, there is only one place to go. You go to your own fallenness that you now define as being unfallen. Everything has continued just as it was from the beginning. And your new God is you. Your new God is you. And in the futility of your mind, Truth escapes your notice. Notice verses 5 to 7. For when they maintain this, what? That there is no supernatural. When they maintain that in their own understanding, when they've redefined God in their own terms instead of according to His terms, they cannot even in their own darkness of mind now understand truth. It escapes their notice. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the Word of God, heavens existed long ago. And the earth was formed out of water and by water, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded by water. 
the present heavens and earth by his word. You notice the combination by the very word of God, by his word are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. So yet here is another aspect about false teachers that we must realize. They are people who deliberately and willfully close their eyes to the facts. Deliberately and willfully close their eyes to the facts. It's ironic that while they claim to be looking at historical facts, right, all has continued just as it was from the beginning, that would seem as if they're taking into account historical fact. And yet they are willfully closing their eyes to actual facts. And maintain, we mean, for when they maintain this, it escapes their notice. These are the actual facts. This is what they claim in verse 4, yet this is the actual facts in verses 5 through 7. In fact, the entire phrase can be translated in verse 5, they willingly, they are willingly ignorant of the way the heavens and earth came to be. They're willfully ignorant. That harkens back to verse 15. They have forsaken the right way. They're willful. Willfully ignorant of how the heavens and earth came to be. They are willfully ignorant of what Genesis chapter 1 and 2 says. This is an important point here. Because it's willful. In other words, it doesn't matter if you think that what the Bible declares seems impossible. It doesn't matter if what you think and how you view it from your own human standard of empirical facts that it seems like it couldn't have been done that way. It doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. The fact is, it happened. It happened. Why? Because it's by the Word of God. It is according to His Word. This is Peter's whole argument. It's by the Word of God that, that God destroyed the previous world. It's by the Word of God that He has set up this current world in which we live to be destroyed in a whole different way. Mockers say that's impossible. It's impossible. No different in the ancient days. Save the world. Save it today. Because man, if we don't save it, we're going to lose it. Guess what? You're going to lose it. The present heavens and earth by His Word are being reserved for fire. How many plastic bottles do we need to recycle in order to thwart that? They're being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. Listen, it was no different in ancient days. They were mocking then. It can't happen. It's impossible. Noah, all the days he was building the ark, the 120 years that Noah was preparing, God had told him, build an ark. They'd never seen rain on the earth. Not like that. It's going to rain. That's impossible. 
Noah, do what I'm telling you. Obey the command. The mockers come along with their mocking. What are you doing, Noah? What are you building a boat for what? And their mocking went nowhere. History actually shows just what happened. While they were mocking, while they were living, while they were marrying and giving in marriage, saying, no judgment is coming, guess what? The rain began to fall. And for man, he could have gone on and said, this isn't happening, I don't believe it, this is impossible, and yet history came, became actual. He blinded himself to what was really happening. God said it would come. Noah believed God. The rest of the world, less eight people, didn't believe God, and they all perished. They were saying the same thing to Noah. Everything's gone on since the beginning of creation. What are you doing? You're crazy. You say God told you this? Come on. And then the day came. God said it, and it happened. Therefore, Peter gives us one last aspect to remember. To deny God's history is to deny God's power. To deny God's history is to deny God's power. Notice, by the word of God, heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. That was all by the word of God, the power of God on display. But the present heavens and earth by his word are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. How do we know that's going to happen? Because God said it would happen in history, and it did. And God said it will happen in the last days, and it will. The people of the ancient days denied the history of God and therefore denied the power of God and were on the wrong end of receiving it. Peter is saying, don't be on the wrong end. Don't deny the history of God and thereby deny the power of God. God will do what he says. Don't be willfully ignorant of the fact that the old world was formed by God's word. Don't be ignorant of the fact that Genesis tells us that in the beginning the earth was formless and void. Genesis 1 verse 2, the earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And we all understand that it would have stayed that way had not God said. Verse 3 of Genesis chapter 1 says, God said, let there be light. And it was. Out of nothing, ex nihilo, from nothing. And it was. 
Right there is a declaration concerning the very character of God that we believe. He is all-powerful. He is all-powerful. What would be impossible for us came to be through the power of God who said, let there be light. Created from nothing, yes. Why? Because of the supernatural. Because God is all-powerful. Because God doesn't need things in order to have things move along and be created. God doesn't need any of that. God creates it from nothing. In the same way that the ancient world appeared to be going along unchanged and unchangeable, and yet God said, let the rain begin. The waters came down, the storehouses of the deep opened up, the waters from wherever they are stored in the underneath parts of the earth that God has created, and all people, lest those on the ark, were saved. I think I said that the wrong way around. All people destroyed, lest the eight. And Peter says, listen, the heavens and the earth now, since that time are being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. Just like it was then. Ungodly men, God looked upon the earth and there wasn't any, he, he, he just couldn't take it anymore. He said, My, I cannot strive with men. Noah, build an ark. Well, there's coming a day like that. Ungodly men will be destroyed the judgment and destruction of this earth. And this is the base issue with mockers. This is the base issue with false teachers. They deny the power of God. And by denying the power of God is to deny the supernatural, thereby denying God at all. Look around the world. Look around our world, even with its chaos, it seems rather stable. World just spinning, our globe immovable, and yet when we look at it, we look at mankind, cannot forget, cannot willfully reject that God, the one who created it all, the one who controls it all, the very God who spoke it into its very existence from nothing will remove it all with a word. It's being reserved for the day of judgment of the ungodly, Peter said. I can't help but think that Peter says that by, and is thinking in the back of his heart and mind, and since it's going to be kept for the day of the judgment and destruction of ungodly men, what kind of people ought we to be? Isn't that what Peter really is saying back in verse 1 of chapter 3? I'm writing to you in which I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. Peter's saying, listen, I want you to think. I want you to think sincerely, soberly about these things with the mind of discernment that's unpolluted by false teaching. I want you to take these things and, and absorb them into the intellect that God has given you and, and 
open his word and read his word. I want your mind to be the very opposite of the mind of a mocker. I want you to follow the word of God and not your own lusts. I want you to never underestimate the supernatural power of God. Never underestimate it. The world may consider us fools. The liberal religious community of our day may consider us to be utter idiots for believing what the Old Testament says, that it's not myths, that it's actual history. And beloved, let us be those who would rather stand alone with God than in a crowd without God. Let us be those who accept the Bible as the Word of God and live lives in conformity to it. Let it be the authority. Let it be the sufficiency. The mocking mind rejects it. Let us have sincere minds, pure minds. Minds that are focused on the Word of God, not doubting any part and trusting in the only true God whose power accomplishes it all. Peter's going to give us that contrast in verses 8 and 9. This escapes their notice, but don't let it escape yours. Don't let it escape yours. We'll save that for next time. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. Divides down to the thoughts and intentions of the heart. I don't know what our thoughts are. I don't know what our intentions are in our heart, but you do. Your word can uncover that. It can reveal that. It can show exactly what's happening. We don't want to doubt you. We don't want to be arrogant about what we believe. We certainly don't want to waver on the truth and veracity of it. We want to trust who you are, never denying the supernatural. Always trusting in your power. You have spoken your word. Your word is powerful. It's powerful. It has created from nothing and you spoke. You unleashed your power through your word. And you have given us your word to follow. I trust we will do that. Help us not be duped by the false. Help us discern, take it back to the word of God and trust what you say. Rightly dividing it that we might not be ashamed. Thank you for our time here this morning. Bless these dear saints, children of yours. Help them to stand strong. In Christ we pray. Amen.